every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is an MSP Marketing Podcast Special. Episode 100. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the MSP Marketing Podcast. Whether you've been listening from day one back in 2019, or if this is your first episode, thank you so much for putting me on your device and giving me a little bit of your valuable time to bang on about marketing for MSPs. You can probably tell I love this. I adore every single second of this, and I hope that you get so much value out of this and it helps you to grow your business. Now to celebrate episode 100, we considered pulling together some of the greatest minds in the world of MSPs. There are so many good experts who've been on this podcast in the last 100 episodes. And then we thought, do you know what? What would be really cool if we got some ordinary MSP owners, people who are there on the coalface day in, day out, but also people who are actually pretty good at marketing themselves and who also think in a really good way. So my friend Justin pulled together a couple of these people for me. I'm going to introduce you to them in a second. Before I do, to celebrate this 100th episode, we've got a big giveaway. Hey, this is producer James. Over the last 100 weeks, some of our prizes have been designed to benefit your work life, but this gift is definitely a treat for your personal life. We've teamed up with Datto to give you the chance to win a $100 or your local equivalent value Amazon gift card. A thank you for listening and supporting this podcast, but even better still, we've got five of them to give away. All the details you need are later on in the show. Well, that sounds fantastic. So let's meet the people joining us for this special 100th episode. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast special. What's up, everybody? I'm Justin Escar from the Virtual Consulting Group. Hi, I'm Richard Wingfield with Envision Design. And I'm Will O'Neill with Mid-Atlantic Computer Solutions. And I'm so grateful to all of you coming onto this podcast. If only we could have recorded what we've been talking about the last 10 minutes, because I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed the last 10 minutes immensely. <laughs> it can never go in the podcast due to the swearing and the inappropriateness and, <laughs> and some of the stories that you've just told me, but this is going to be a blast. So thank you. So you, you guys all know each other. Is that right? Yes, yeah. we do. Everyone's connected through Justin somehow. So. Okay. Yeah. So, so Justin, we, we'll start with, with talking about you and your story, because this is actually your second appearance in the podcast this year. You were, I think it was episode 75 you appeared in and you were a, a really popular guest and then you offered to help me put this together. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, of course. Just give, it, give us an idea of your story and, and give us the short version, Justin. What, what's your background? What's your story? Uh, the short version is I was 12 years old and I was enamored with Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and now I'm 41 years old and I, I, I don't have their money, but I'm working on it. Building a, a giant consultancy as best I can, doing IT consulting, doing consulting for consultants. I put on a conference for consultants. Uh, we just released our first piece of hardware, which we're trying to sell to consultants. So I'm all about helping other IT consultants and MSPs. Thank you. Richard? So my story is I have a degree in architecture and I got out into that profession. I'm old enough that I was in that profession when computers hit that profession and kind of by default or raising my hand too often, got into technology, got hired at some point by Apple, worked for them for a bit, was there when Steve Jobs reorged the company and was part of the layoffs. And when that was done, I realized in the past I was doing two full-time jobs and only getting paid for one. I was doing architecture and IT, and thus Envision was born, and I've been doing IT consulting for 25-plus years now. Richard, you need to change your intro to Steve Jobs Fired Me, because that's, that's a great headline. <laughs> 
<laughs> me and 14,000 other people on that day or whatever it was. Yeah. Justin, can we have that t-shirt? Yeah, yeah man, I'll, I'll definitely make that shirt. <laughs> and Will, tell us your story. So I, I am doing the only thing that I've ever, uh, I've ever done, which is IT consulting in one form or another. And I'm doing what I love every single day. That is uh, supporting small businesses and their use of technology. That's great. Thank you. So, Justin, you you completely smashed the brief. The brief was pull together interesting people who would love to be on the podcast, who think the right ways that you, you guys think as, as business owners, as well as, as technicians. Uh, and also, I know that you guys are actually slightly better at marketing than most other people, which is really good. So what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is I've been pulling together questions. So I have a Facebook group. It's the MSP Marketing Facebook group. And we'll put a couple of posts in there, had some questions. I've asked my clients on the MSP Marketing Edge. They've given me some marketing and business growth questions. Also on my peer groups and just from people I've been talking to on LinkedIn and various other channels, everywhere I've been, I've collected questions. In fact, we've got more questions for you than we can possibly throw into one podcast. So we'll see what we can do. And along the way, we'll have some fun as well. So we're going to start with a question from Kyle Stidham. Kyle, apologies if I've uh, pronounced your name wrong. Uh, Kyle is an MSP owner in Colorado, and he's asked a great question here. And Justin, we'll, we'll start with you for this. What are some of the key strategies that you would use if you're entering a brand new market? So Justin, I know you're in, in New York, obviously the world's best city. You don't need to go into another market, but let's say you decided you wanted to go into, what, what's the next city along from New York? Well, actually we did enter a new market because last October we actually purchased another Apple consultancy in Iowa. Ah, so okay. it kind of rolls into that. Uh, Kyle, your answer isn't necessarily buy another computer, but like it was a little eye opening because as one can imagine, people in Iowa think and speak differently than people from New York. Right. I, I don't know if this is true necessarily about a new market, but like it's you have to establish yourself as the leader and get your name out there and then fill up those like reviews and put out good content that people can see that if you're going to go into this new market, you have to go in there guns blazing. I'm the big dog. I know what I'm talking about. Here's why you should trust me, especially if you're going from like a big city like New York to like a smaller city. You want to go in there and say like, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is why I'm the expert. I've done the New York thing. I've done the 24 by 7 pressure of New York City. And now I'm ready to take on Boise, Idaho or whatever. <laughs> no offense to anyone from Boise, Idaho. I would say that's the the best way to do it. Like do the research. And then on top of which there's all like the standard stuff you do, right? Join BNI, which I, I mean, I think you guys have BNI in, in the UK, right, Paul? Like the, oh, God, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. BNI is huge here. So yeah. join BNI, things like that. Join the Chamber of Commerce. Talk to everybody you know. Carry business cards wherever you go. Go to events. Go to meetup.com. Look for events. Look for the people that you want to be helping. Don't go to events for other IT professionals. Go to like, if you want to do graphic design, like go to the Schmierna, Maryland graphic design user group and just kind of establish yourself as a leader there. So Richard and Will, have either of you um, extended into a new market? I mean, obviously Justin did it through acquisition, but have you have you done it the organic way where perhaps you've launched in the next city or the next town or something? Well, I did it the wrong way. The wrong way is to uh, find a partner who promises they know what they're doing and then really uh, doesn't know a single thing about what they're doing. My foray into another city was uh, an abject failure, a very, a very slow, painful failure, just because, uh, I, you know, at the time I was running a, a successful, a very successful, the, the, the market was booming, the economy was booming, and 
There was a calling for another city. There was a, a partner built in and uh, there was just nothing but complete and total lack of understanding or knowledge uh, once we got in there. So we landed three customers and lost three customers all within uh, a very short amount of time. And uh, that uh, kind of scared me off from going into another market. The, the market that I'm currently in is uh, very large and completely untapped for the type of support that we can do. And Will, without going into too much detail and certainly without naming names, can you tell us you know, why that didn't work? So, so what was, what was the, the lack of knowledge that, that you had which stopped you from really getting into that marketplace? The lack of knowledge was the person who uh, who wanted to uh, start the business uh, promised that they knew what they were doing. They had a, a general understanding. Red flags were, were thrown. Um, I said, you know, let, let me send a tech to help you on this on this first job. And he said, no, I've got it. And uh, went in there and made us all look like complete and total fools. Just did not know his stuff. So actually, your big lesson from this is pick your partners carefully. Yeah, pick your partners carefully and and and, and vet the entire process. And was it um, geographically so far away that you you couldn't stay in close contact with them? It was uh, five hundred plus miles. Yeah, there does come a point, doesn't there, where you where you've you've just got to get in the car and you've got to drive and you've got to meet with someone. Yeah, the, the, the you know the the visit was uh, was scheduled for three o'clock in the afternoon. There was a ninety nine dollar Delta flight that morning. I said, I have a tech on the plane. You could pick him up on the way. And uh, was told, nope, not needed. I know what I'm doing. Ouch. Sounds awful. Yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> don't, definitely to, don't do I that. I think going off that, I mean, Will, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, was it shiny thing disorder? Like, you were like, oh, I can do this thing over there. And this guy seems great. And then it failed or like. I think it was wanting to trust because the relationship that was there was a good relationship. They saw our success in the DC market and wanted to replicate that into a different market. I knew I can teach and I could train, but I can't do it for you. Um, thank you, Will. Appreciate your honesty um, talking about something which, I mean, no one really likes talking about their failures, but um, it's, it's good that you're, you're able to put it in a public forum like that because it shows that you've learned from it. Let's move on to another question. So this one is from Andrew Brown. I think we got this one from LinkedIn. Uh, Andrew is head of channel and partnerships at Beecastle. And he says... If you were to split your customers into A, B, C, D based on their revenue, which group would you see the most revenue growth from? So his assumption would be that although your A group would bring the most revenue, your largest growth opportunity would come from your B or your C group. And of course, group A would primarily be about retention. I would think that that you would go with, uh, with the B group because the B group is uh, amenable to your services they know who you are. They've already have a relationship of trust. And I would think that, you know, if you go there and you point out a deficiency or a service that they don't have, they'd be more more willing to to go ahead and agree. My problem is my my C group where, you know, that, that where we just provide minimal support, they don't want to buy more because it's it's not because they don't know we provide more. It's they they don't want to buy more because they don't see a value in it and no amount of marketing or me. Um, you know, jamming it down their throat is going to make a difference. Yeah, it would definitely, I would think, be the B group for us too. The A group for us would be cream of the crop, but hard to get clients. The C group is going to be some combination of either the clients we just haven't fired yet, or they're, as Will was mentioning, their cost is their only way to judge value of anything. So I think the potential biggest growth is what Will was saying. It would, I would think that's true for our company as well. It's the folks who are already buying in 
And I think often that growth is you have become their trusted advisor and maybe they didn't pass on a particular service or they change their business a little bit. And if you're doing your consulting job, you can go, hey, you've moved in this new direction. Here's a place where we can expand and take care of you even better than we were before. I was going to say, I find that the C group tends to be the most annoying also, right? Like it's always the ones that don't want to pay that put in like the most amount of tickets. It, you know, like Rich, you started to say, cause you were like, oh, we haven't fired them yet. I'm like, there, well, I would 100% just fire them. Like I can't, I just can't take it anymore. Cause like the B group has the most potential. They trust you. The A group is spending the most amount of money. But then again, it depends on what they're, what they're buying into, right? Well, the um, fallacy is that the C group would have the most option for growth because they're paying the least, right? That's the trick question, right? Right. Fire the C group, massage the B group, and any new product you buy into, sell to the A group. And I don't, I don't know what happened to the D group. I don't think they made the list, so they're, they're cut off. <laughs> the, D, the D group got fired. They've already, the group already yeah. got yeah. fired. <laughs> there is, there is, um, it's an interesting way of thinking about it, though, because I, I know most MSPs don't think about their clients as A's, B's, and C's. And whether, whether you categorize them by revenue, by profit, by you know revenue per user, or, or you know even just how easy they are, because we, we've all got clients who don't necessarily pay a lot, but you don't hear from them. Or I'm sure you guys have, have got clients like those, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't fire a client that you never hear from. It just because they're, they're a low spender. But I think most MSPs don't think about their clients this way. And actually, everyone should be maintaining a list of clients who are at risk of being fired. I know that when I had lots of staff, and I only had 15, it wasn't loads, but at any one point, I could tell you which member of the staff would be fired first. So if we had to do any kind of cost cutting, or if just someone annoyed me enough on that day, I could tell you the name of the person who I would get rid of first. And I think you should do exactly the same thing with your clients. Justin, you're, you're, you know, you're New York, you're brash, you're, you're Mr. <laughs> Let's just do it. You, you mean, must actually physically have a, a list, presumably written in blood. Yeah, it's, it's next to my baseball bat in the, in the cement shoes that I build for people all the time. Justin's changing his name to Justin Soprano. Uh, I don't get for being the brash New Yorker. I'm sorry, I tell it like it is. It's just the way it is. No, I don't have the list. I, we do do this. We will go across the end of the year and look at the number of hours we recorded in service and we'll divide that by the yearly amount that they, the client has paid. Basically, I want to find out, despite what their contract says, you know, their contract could be $300 a month, it could be $5,000 a month. But at the end of everything, you figure out really what the client is paying you per hour. And that's, I think, an, an easier way to figure out that, that, that number, right? Because if you have a client who's paying you $300 a month and they're bothering you an hour every day, that's 30 days, that's 30 hours, they're really only paying you $10 an hour. Whereas you have a client who's paying you $2,500 a month and they bother you once per month, you're charging them $2,500 an hour, right? So you have to take that calculation into play to really determine how much are they bothering me? How many tickets are they opening? Whatever you want to call it versus how much are they paying me? And then everything else is, do I like their personality? Do they listen to me? Do they fight with me? How many times do I have to tell them the same thing? How many times did I tell them to restart their computer before they finally did it? So that can be added on top as part of the fluff part of the calculation. But the raw calculation should simply be how many hours did I spend at them? And what is my actual hourly rate, no matter what they're contracted for? I like this idea, though, of having an on the bubble list, right? I've always had that list in my head with clients of which ones are on the bubble about to 
about to go. I mean, we had one during the pandemic last summer, and my first comment was, damn it, I was firing them at the beginning of next month. He beat me to the punch. <laughs> so there's always been that on the bowl list, but... Okay, let's move on to a question from John, and this is a nice, simple one. We'll, we'll start um, with you, Will, on this one, because each of you will have, hopefully, a, a separate answer. But, Will, what's your best tip to get new clients? Uh, make sure they know you exist. you got to market, and then uh, after you're done marketing, you have to market some more. What kind of marketing do you do, Will? Well, for, for the last uh, 18 months, we were doing uh, mails and newsletters and postcards. We spent a boatload of money on those. And I think it landed one $3,000 a month client, which uh, did not in any way come close and will not make those uh, newsletters and postcards profitable for, uh, you know, many more years. You know, if we figure that $3,000 a month client, if I'm netting a thousand bucks, maybe in profit on that, on that uh, client, I, I spent realistically, I spent over $25,000 on those uh, marketing services. I am, I am three years away from any profit on that client if you consider yeah. the way that they, they came in that way. So uh, we're turning our ways to, to other things, you know, word of mouth. We're really letting our customers know that, that uh, you know, if they think we do a good job for them, we can do a good job for their peers. If they don't think we're doing a good job for them, you know, then, you know, it's a, it's a great way to uh, learn where, you know, how you can do better when you, when you reach out and ask for those things. Um, but there's also other methods of marketing, including any of the social media sites, including LinkedIn. And can I just ask, Will, and it's a bit of an aside, but the um, I assume you had an agency working with you doing those postcards and newsletters. And again, don't name them because we've, we've just established there wasn't the return on investment. But was there any kind of phone follow-up or was it simply a case of they were just sending stuff out in the post and, and, and sort of communicating that way, but, but no one was ever actually speaking to humans? Yeah, it was, it was not a, uh, a managed call service. It was literally just, here's the news we want to post out and send it out. So there, there was not a, a phone call following up on that, but all of the, it was a targeted list, right? The, all the customers had, or all of the potential leads had engaged with us before and chose not to move at the time. But at the time of the marketing uh, began, it was the beginning of the pandemic. And I knew that, um, you know, some people would be moving or or their uh, existing support uh, would be going away. Uh, they weren't able to support those kind of things. So it was a um, this is a reminder we're here. And, uh, you know, that's that's literally how uh, how we got uh, you know reintroduced to that one client. It just it only worked one time. That money that you spent, have you still got the data for that? Have you have you still got the, the, the do you know who got those communications? Yeah. Yep. I've got a good a good record of who got it. Go and find yourself a, a back to work mum somewhere who can just phone those people. And literally you're looking for someone who doesn't have a telephone background, like a telesales background, but someone who's just fun and friendly and, and their idea of joy is picking up the phone and just chatting with people and get her to do uh, two to three hours a day, two to three days a week, just phoning that list. Because I, I don't know how many are on that list, Will, but I guarantee you that, that there's at least two or three more clients in that list. And you've done a little bit of warming up work with them. And the thing is, you've already spent the money. So you might as well throw another thousand bucks at you know at paying someone to sit at home and actually phone them up. But we, we find that that process of phoning someone, chatting to them, not selling, that her outcome is to get a 15-minute video call with you, for, with, with the prospect. That's, that's the only thing she's working towards, which, which is great because it means she doesn't need to know about technology. She doesn't need to know about your business. She just needs to know how to be warm and friendly and get people engaged. But I, I think your, your basic 
approach was right, which is these people are going to switch some of them. We've just got to be in front of them at the right time. And, and maybe for some of them, it wasn't the right time or you, you didn't know when it was the right time. So Justin, let's ask you the, the exact same question that um, John had, which is what's your best tip to get new clients? I think it's different for Will, Rich, and I because we're all Apple consultants, right? Already gives us a little bit of a boost because when you have a business and, you, and you're using Macs, you call Apple for support. The sales support people over there will kick you to this website called consultants.apple.com and you type in your zip code and you can find all the consultants in your neighborhood. I've been in business 13 years. I've gotten one referral. And, and the reason for that, at least in my opinion, is people here in New York don't want to refer I, especially IT people to other companies because then then you'll feel that like when when you, they need you, you won't be there because you'll be helping the company that was referred to you or something like that. I, I don't really know. I've tried a lot of different marketing things, right? We we've tried the phone call thing, we've tried the LinkedIn thing, we've tried the the email thing. I, I haven't done the postcards because I've heard stories like Will's in the past. You know, it's 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 so hit or miss or whatever. PC MSPs, are, it's really easy to be like, your, your information's on the dark web and we're going to save you. And like Mac people are like, eh, you know, whatever, man. When it breaks, it breaks. Like they're just so much more lenient about things. It's a lot harder, I think, to market to companies that use Macs than PC. Justin, let me just let me just jump in because our experience with the consultants network is completely different. We get two or three leads a month from from consultants or from the Apple stores. Ninety eight percent of them are not looking to spend any money. Our biggest thing is when you find a target is that convincing them that Apple doesn't do everything for you. The biggest thing is people walk into an Apple store and they buy the machine and Apple blows a lot of smoke towards them. It says, yeah, we do all this. And yeah, it's all easy. What they don't realize is it's not the machine that's going to break. It's the human that's going to break. It's the yeah, human yeah. that's going to cause the problem. And so your marketing is not about the technology or the hardware. Your marketing is about are your users going to keep your business safe? And are your users, are you getting as much out of your user as you pay them? And so we lead uh, you know, those conversations from, look, we're going to train your employees how to use the tools that you're using. We're going to train your employees how to stay safe on the web because there is no technology in the world that's going to keep you from clicking on something that you shouldn't click on. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get ransomware, but it certainly means that maybe they are giving out your information or your client information or your client's proprietary information without realizing what they're doing. It's because the user, there's no test, right? All these small businesses go out and hire people and put a Mac in front of them. There is no test or any computer in front of them. There's no test that they do that says, how computer literate are you? They assume that they know how to use Word and Teams and Excel and Google Apps. They assume all those things they don't providing change uh, train and change on that they don't, they it's because it's on everyone's on resume proficient in microsoft word microsoft excel exactly <laughs> and we know how false it is because we all know you know you know restart your computer if you're experiencing something that is not right they have to pay us you know three four five eight thousand dollars a month to tell them that yeah um, and, uh, you know, we, we clearly know the people don't know how to use the technology. That's how you have to uh, adjust your marketing is to make sure you're, you're marketing to the problem and not pointing out problems that, that may, uh, may exist on other platforms or guaranteed one day will exist on the Apple platform. And I think when Apple gets hit, I think it's going to be a, a bloodbath 
Let's move away from, as, as, as a MacBook owner myself, I don't want to have that conversation because we all know <laughs> Macs don't go wrong. Macs don't get ransomware and we don't need antivirus. So we don't need to have that conversation. Let's uh, <laughs> instead, let's move on to a different question. Now, this one has actually been sent in as a piece of audio from Harold. Hey, Paul, it's Harold from San Francisco. I love the idea of direct marketing, but it seems like with everybody working remotely or at home during COVID, there's really no way to actually send them anything because we don't have their address at their residences. What do you suggest we do if we want to do direct mail, but no one seems to be in the office? So that's a pretty good question. Thank you, Harold. And of course it does, I mean, we were just talking about exactly that and, and sending postcards and stuff. Will, did you did you do your, your big um, post-it campaign during the pandemic? I think you said you did, didn't you? Yep, it was all during the pandemic. And and what I did was uh, to avoid the, uh, the the postage fees, I actually um, grabbed each postcard, got in my car and hand-delivered each one to each person's house. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that a joke? That, yeah, that <laughs> is absolutely a joke. That's a joke. Yeah, I can't yeah. tell you how many returns, uh, you know, returned postcards that just would randomly come back. So if I sent out a dozen postcards, uh, January would get through, February would bounce back, March would not be delivered or not come back to me, but but April would, would be d- delivered to the customer and I get a bounce back. So maintaining that list was a royal pain. I also know that a- at least in this region, uh, our postal service is not up to par because I would go visit a customer who was in the office and then three days later, I would get the postcard back saying, sorry, undeliverable. Um, <laughs> and that was just literally mine. I mean, I was out of my mind going, what is wrong with the postal service? That was part of the reason why I stopped the campaign is because I would get postcards back that were that were postmarked two or three months prior to when when they were delivered. So I'm like, I'm spending all this money on postage and printing and it's taking anywhere between seven days and three months for these things to get back to me. That's assuming that they were actually coming back to me at all. You know, you'd verify the address on their website. There was no news. There was no nothing. We were still getting mail. These um, leads were still getting mail at their addresses. They just didn't stop. The post office just was not delivering them. So, Will, yeah. this is why this is why your Christmas gift from 2020 hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> I'm still I'm still waiting on that drink you promised me from last summer. Well, Paul, I don't want to be the one who technically converts this into a bashing direct mail, but we did postcards and what have you before the pandemic. So I don't want the pandemic to get all the press for when these things are not working. We did postcards and newsletters and did those things before the pandemic and had similar lack of success as Will did. Now, again, you mentioned follow-up with calls. We did some call follow-up, but in general, it was an awareness campaign. But if I could, I'm going to give you my answer for the previous question about getting new clients and our, what I found works the best for us, and that is not these direct mail and postcard things, but keeping a really good relationship with that if we're classifying them, that A list of clients and not not necessarily A list in the ones that spend the most money with you, but the ones that you have a really good relationship, they love you, you love them. And the referrals we get for them, we were still doing postcards and what have you for the last 18 months as well. And we've had recently had two new clients that both came from referrals and I didn't even ask for the referral. And those clients were not the him haw about how much it's going to cost. They were so-and-so said, you've been helping them for 
eight years and you're great. We need some help. Here's the quote. Okay, when can you start? I, I know that's not answering the postcard question and how do you get it delivered when everybody's working at home, but the referrals are delivered by our clients and over email. And so I'm kind of answering the previous question, if that's okay. Rich, when you did your referral campaign, did, did you award the referee? This yeah, we do have our little quippy name for it. We're Envision Design. So if you become an Envisionary you, and oh, you gosh. refer a client that signs up, but yes, we do have rewards for the people that sign up. And we will give that reward to the people that referred, even though they knew nothing about this reward. Go, hey, you sent us this client, they signed up, here's your thank you gift. That's really interesting because you we could have uh, another MSP on from a different part of the US or even from the UK saying they get loads of referrals from their clients and they might buy them a, a bottle of wine or something to say thank you, but there's no formal reward for it. There's no formal scheme set up. I think with client referrals, you do whatever works for you and you do whatever you're most comfortable with. And there's a great book about referrals called Unstoppable Referrals by Steve Gordon. And if you guys haven't read it yet, please do grab yourself a copy of that off Amazon because what Steve Gordon recommends is instead of directly asking for referrals that you put together a referrals kit a referrals kit being something that people get essentially for joining your email list saying that richard clearly what you're doing now works for you said don't change it and i think that goes with any marketing if you've got something that works you don't change it however i have to take you to task on the whole direct mail bashing because I, I i'm sensing you know i'm a bit of an old-fashioned guy when it comes to direct mail i love sending stuff through the post it does work there are two words you said earlier which just literally put a a, a dagger of fear into my heart which were awareness campaign do you remember saying that richard you said you were doing an awareness campaign no did anyone else hear me say that i must have <laughs> it's, on, it's on tape <laughs> In fact, in fact, in fact, producer James, can you just repeat that bit where Richard said awareness campaign? Oh, no. We did some call follow up, but in general, it was an awareness campaign. There we go. So um, the, the thing with marketing, and this is this is what makes marketing for MSPs awesome and terrible at the same time. You guys have the longest sales cycle of anyone ever. So you think about the insane retention that you have with your clients and people will stay with you 5, 10, 15 years. It's it's the norm. You know, it's actually it's actually abnormal for me to talk to an MSP who doesn't have that kind of crazy retention. And so you've got to think about it if if someone is staying with an MSP for 5, 10, 15 years, that's 5, 10, 15 years that they're not looking somewhere else. So you've got this insane retention, plus you've got the fact that the ordinary people who buy from you don't understand technology. They don't know what's happening. They can't explain what the cloud is. They're not really up to speed on what ransomware is and, hey, it's someone else's problem anyway. So you've got that to take into account. And essentially getting your message in front of the right person at the right time is really, really, really difficult. So I think, Richard, if if, if you were going to do another direct mail for anyone doing a direct mail campaign, you can't look at it as a, a brand awareness, as an awareness campaign. You've got to look at it as how can we start a relationship with people? How can we get them to join our email list? How can we get them to connect to us on LinkedIn or any other social media platforms that we're using? How can we get them to follow us on YouTube or listen to our podcast or any of the, the audiences that you're building? And the idea is that you try to build a relationship with people before 
the point they're ready to buy. So at the point that someone's in that sort of two to three week window where they're genuinely looking for a new IT support company and they come to you, if they have spent two to three years reading your stuff, whether that's a newsletter or whether it's you know just your emails or just your updates on LinkedIn, you are dramatically ahead of your competitors. The problem with that, of course, is it's, it's very much a long-term marketing strategy. And many MSPs really struggle with that strategy. Right, let's move on. We have uh, a question from a different Justin. Um, Justin says, what's your favorite way to upsell clients? Um, so Will, t- tell us what's your favorite way to upsell clients? Do you use quarterly business reviews? Uh, of course, we use the uh, reviews. We, we use um, other ways of pointing out deficiencies. You know, it's, it could be just a, a friendly phone call saying, how are you uh, doing this? How are you doing that? You know, what are you paying for this? Um, perhaps we can bundle it and uh, and and give you uh, one invoice uh, to pay. You know, so we, we make it easier on the on the uh, customers. Several several ways to do that. What about you, Richard? Similar answer to Will, but I think the other thing that popped into my head was looking at new partners and new partnerships. So to go back a few years, as we started to get a few more clients in the healthcare and medical professions, then we started looking at well, what can we offer in that particular market segment? And so to add a service that's specific to a market segment like HIPAA compliance or that kind of thing. So that's another way that that we've done it before where we pick up services. And it's been years ago, and I think everyone still hates their phone company, but at some point to Will's point about unified billing and that kind of thing, we started doing voice over IP services uh, because clients wanted us to take care of more things. So I would say uh, partnerships. And Justin? Every ticket that comes in is an opportunity to find something else that they possibly need. The second a client emails you and says, like, why am I getting this much spam? Or how do I stop this person from emailing me? Or why are my phone calls sounding like a 1980s McDonald's drive through? Like, those are the opportunities to like look for and, and listening to your clients. There's so much about IT consulting in general that gets missed in the fact of consulting. Like, we're all really good technicians, but the consulting part is listening to what your clients are actually saying to you. And then coming up with solutions to solve that, whether that's reselling another service, partnering with like a master service agent to get things, or even finding another consultancy who you can, you know, tag team a problem with. You know, the, the three of us have been friends for a long time. We know other consultancies in our arena that like if I needed legitimate 24 by 7 support, like I, we would all know who to call because I have all these like little relationships I have in my back pocket. But to know when to pull those those cards out is coming down and listening to what your clients are talking about and picking up on every little thing that they say, even if it's not a technical answer. Okay, that's a great answer. Justin, let's stay with you for one of our final questions. This one comes from Alex, and it's possibly a, a kind of a related question because Alex asks, what's your best piece of advice about customer service? It's listen to what your clients are asking. Whenever I hire somebody, but this is how you, I, I could tell whether you can work for me or not. This question has gone public now, so it's not like I'm like it's not like a big secret. But if you're working for me and it's a Friday night and you're the only one in the office and the CEO of one of our clients calls and says, I, "I need to print out this this keynote presentation. I'm flying to Vegas in ten minutes. I'm, I'm leaving the office. I need to print it out so I can mark it up with my favorite red pen." And it's not printing. What do you do? And I'll get one of two answers. 
Answer one is, well, I'll log into the computer and I'll check the drivers and I'll ask them if the light is on. I'll ask them if there's ink. I'll see if the USB cable's connected. And the other answer is, I'll have him send me the PDF and I'll get him the documents before he gets on the plane. True story, Alex, who works for me, literally, I needed to print like a UPS label sometime during the pandemic and I don't have any ink in my printer. And he goes, send me the label. And I was like, what? And he's best friends with like the bagel store that's around the corner from me. And he sent the PDF to the bagel store. <laughs> they had them print it and use one of their delivery drivers to like drop the label off in my mailbox. And I'm like, wow. that's where it's at. It's listening to what the actual problem is. The problem isn't that the, the CEO couldn't print the document. This, the problem is that he needs it in his hand to mark it up on the plane. So if you're actively engaging with the customers and you're finding out all this information, you need to do something with that information, do something with that data. And that's how you can become a better consultant. Thank you. Richard, what would your piece of advice on better customer service be? I agree with what Justin said, but I'm going to add something I learned when I was working for Apple. And it is to take advantage of any failure on your part Take advantage of that. So one of the lessons learned, and I learned this when I was at Apple, how you deal with a problem can get you a lifelong client if you deal with it well. And a client who's more loyal for that service than with a client where nothing ever went wrong. So if something happens, instead of trying to dodge it or whatever, if there's something happens that didn't go well and you deal with that issue well, you may have a better lifelong client who's going to refer you like crazy than you would if nothing ever went wrong with that client. Great advice. Thank you. Will? I think it's two words. I think it's listen and empathize. I think you have to make your customers' problems your problems and, and work to solve them. So this is coming from Luis Geraldo at Enable. Will, if you could go back and change one thing, what would you change? Well, that's a great question. I would probably... Go to a, a, a business owner's school where they taught you how to run a business. We all came from this as being technicians and nobody taught us to run a business. And all these mistakes were made by several people before. We're not the first ones. So, you know, you got to learn to lean on the community. You got to learn to trust. You got to learn when uh, when to. Uh, you know, turn up the screws on somebody. When do you um, start to um, to run a business as opposed to continuing to to work in the business? Just remember, you are now responsible not only for your customers' networks, but for your employees' paychecks, and it all runs into into each other. It does. It really does. Justin, if you could go back and change one thing, what would that be? I don't. I don't think I would really. Like, I've always wanted to do this. Like, I've always been. I've always been a business person since like fifth grade. Like true story, I was like my friend Evan would make like these paper origami pencil holders and I bought them off of him for a nickel and I flipped them for a quarter like in fifth grade. Like, this is like my life, right? So I've always wanted to own a business. And I think my the way I do my business, which is different than a lot of other people's by expanding out inside the community stuff, doing the conference and the consulting and the T-shirts and the hardware and all the other stuff. I would go back and stop myself from making some like minor mistakes. But even that, those minor mistakes led to such positive results. I dropped like $80,000 trying to build a piece of software that failed, right? But like if I didn't if I didn't make that mistake, one, I wouldn't have a great story to tell. Two, I would then have probably made a bigger mistake later by dropping $200,000 on a piece of software that would have failed. So, I don't think there's anything that I would have done differently. I think I wish I did things 
then more efficiently the way I do things now. So like when I first started, I was doing things the way my old boss did things. And he was a horrible business person and I had no one else to model after. But now since meeting so many people in the community and since starting ACEs and since knowing Will and Rich and, and all these other people who I now know, learning about, you know, using a, a ticketing system, which seems so like obvious when I started my business in 2008, like I wish I had a ticketing system back then that wasn't like a custom made FileMaker database that only I knew how to fix, right? Like little things, <laughs> but nothing, nothing major. I think that question is rough because those failures are really help define who you become. I probably wouldn't have let Will stay at my house as so many times as I have in the past. <laughs> Even that, he comes over and every time he comes over, he like he walks out of my house and I look at my wife and I go, damn, why am I not doing things the way Will does? I, I can't. I can't say that I regretted any or I would change anything if I went back. That's that's a great answer. Thank you. And finally, Justin, I ask myself the same question. Why aren't you more like me every time I see you? <laughs> <laughs> finally, Richard, uh, apart from not being fired by Steve Jobs, what would you do differently if you could go back and change it? <laughs> well, early on, I would have spent the big bucks on purchasing the crystal ball that helps you hire only perfect staff and employees. <laughs> it still doesn't exist, but I think... I'm thinking in terms of what would I change, like what has been one of the hardest lessons learned. And I kind of agree with Justin, like there's a lot of the trial by error, uh, Melanie Curtis that runs our mastermind and does some other things. She talks about, you know, everything's a, a growth opportunity. There's lots of those. I'm not sure I would change those. I think, though, the hard lesson learned was in the early days, I thought I was hiring based on resumes full of technical skills. And it took a while to understand that we can teach the technical skills. You can't teach some of the human interaction skills. And so what I would change is my mindset about hiring much earlier uh, and skip some of those really hard learned lessons. Thank you. That is such a great answer. And I have to say thank you to all three of you. You're clearly really good friends. And it's been very gracious of you to allow a relative stranger to come and take part in what has actually turned into, in parts, quite an, an intimate conversation. So thank you very much. Please give yourselves a big pat on the back from me. And I'd love to have you back on a future podcast. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate the uh, opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. It was fun doing it. I'm, a, I'm always here, man. Whenever you need me. Yeah, I know. I know, Justin. <laughs> You'll be back on the podcast in 25 episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> so, this is episode 100. We've had an amazing piece of content there, but it doesn't end because to celebrate reaching this huge milestone, we've got something amazing to give away. Hey, this is producer James. Yes, it's the most generous prize yet, and it's sponsored by a friend of the show. Hey, this is Greg Jones from Datto. Congratulations, Paul and the team, for reaching your 100th episode. We want to give you a present to mark the occasion. But sorry, Paul, it's definitely not for you. For the 100th episode, a $100 Amazon gift card. But in the spirit of generosity, we want to give five away. So good luck to all the winners. And please keep up the good work, creating so much value for partners. I know you have thousands of MSPs listening to this podcast. 
podcast and it's been growing. Take care. And now James is going to come on and give you some more information on how to win these gifts. Thank you, Greg Jones from Datto. One of their five prizes can be yours if and only if you're an MSP. And as it's an Amazon gift card, consider this a treat to spoil yourself with for all that hard work running your MSP. So here's how to win. There are five $100 or your local equivalent currency in Amazon gift cards to be given away. Just visit this special secret web page right now. It's paulgreensmspmarketing.com slash win. Enter a couple of details and you'll be in the draw. Then five people will be randomly picked at some point just after midnight UK time this Sunday, 17th of October, 2021. So a massive thank you for listening and good luck. Coming up next week. Hi, I'm Alex Robinson from Novus Digital. I'm going to be on the show next week talking about SEO, the latest Google update to roll out over the summer and updating your MSP's website to make sure that you're not stung too badly. We're also going to be talking about how you can solve problems more effectively. It's about understanding the psychology of why a member of your team brings a problem to you and how to strip away a lot of the clutter to focus just on the actual problem itself. Plus, we'll be looking at the power of following up in your marketing. When someone inquires to you but doesn't buy immediately, that doesn't mean that you'll never get the sale. It's just that they're not at the right point of buying right now. People only buy when they're ready to buy. And in next week's show, we'll look at how you can put in place an effective follow-up to make sure that it's your MSP in front of them the morning they wake up ready to buy and not one of your competitors. Thanks again for joining me on this special edition of the show. I'll see you next week. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Special.